MSW Media. Hi, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, and we thank them for their support. Also, thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create the feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit toward your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental United States. Today's episode is dedicated to Eric Bollert. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, April 7th, 2022. Today, the House of Representatives has voted to hold Scavino and Navarro in contempt. Oklahoma lawmakers pass a near total ban on abortions. A Trump lawyer testified before the House Select Committee today. A defense attorney for a high-profile January 6th extremist has been disbarred. And the attorney general goes hard after those who skirt Russian sanctions. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, my friend. How are you holding up? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm just so very devastated by the loss of independent journalist and friend Eric Bollert today. Absolutely. Just devastating loss for journalism. Uh, and, Truly. And to a lot of the people in our community. I know there's a lot of overlap on your po- this podcast with Stephanie Miller and our dear friend is hurting uh, for the loss of her dear friend. So we're all sort of mourning collectively. So, but, you know, just, just hug those, those who you love close today and, and tell people that you love them because life we are finding out is shorter than we think in some cases. Yes. And my whole heart and all my love goes out to Stephanie. And then of course, to Eric Bollert and his family and his associates and everyone who knew him. And his wife. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, we do have uh, a lot of news today. First of all, Merrick Garland has been diagnosed with COVID. He has tested positive for the coronavirus and uh, he is not showing any symptoms, but he did announce that. We're going to be joined later in the show by the co-host of the Spy Talk podcast, Jeff Stein. We're going to discuss his investigative reporting into rampant racism and Trump supporters in certain intelligence community circles, which is frightening. And uh, aside from that, there is some breaking news I will get to when we hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. This just in. The U.S. House of Representatives has voted to refer Trump co-conspirator Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino to the Department of Justice for Criminal Contempt of Congress. That's co-conspirators, plural. During Wednesday's floor debate, some Democrats noted that after Trump raised objections last year, Republicans had pulled the plug on an independent commission to investigate the attack, leading House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to set up a House Select Committee instead. And uh, here is a quote from Jamie Raskin. He says, we were going to have a 9-11 style independent commission. And then you know what happened? You know who vetoed it? The fourth branch of government, Donald Trump, who some of their members slavishly report to like sycophants. And Donald Trump said he didn't want any investigation into the attack on this body, the Congress of the United States. I love Jamie Raskin. He gave us so many great talking points today for, for the midterms. Yeah. People familiar with the matter said the Justice Department has stonewalled committee staffers who have sought to understand prosecutors' views on the referrals. Let me paraphrase that for you. People familiar with the matter said the Justice Department didn't answer any fucking questions from congressional staff who wanted to know if they were going to indict Meadows. The department has not yet acted on their December vote for contempt charges for Mark Meadows. I think that's good, personally, because the first rule of Department of Justice investigations is you don't talk about Department of Justice investigations, especially to a body known to leak like a sieve and especially to a body that's actually a fact witness in your investigation. (laughs) And let me quote the post here. The post says frustrations on the committee toward the Justice Department recently boiled over in public as Attorney General Merrick Garland has not said whether he will take action on charging Meadows, who is viewed as a key witness and Trump's former gatekeeper and top aide. Okay, first of all, boiled over a reporter asked garland the status and garland says he can't comment on ongoing referrals and that's what that this sounds is. crazy man boiling over the the tipping point just explosive lava all over the press room yeah no a reporter said hey what's up with meadows he said i can't comment on ongoing referrals and that's what this is it's an ongoing referral ongoing ongoing so he hasn't declined to prosecute meadows 
And in all likelihood, Meadows is under investigation for a lot more. And you don't want to have to hand over everything you have on someone in discovery for a 30-day fucking misdemeanor case. We have the Bannon indictment. We do have that one. And that has motivated a lot of recalcitrant witnesses to appear before the committee. And as I imagine, the eight hours of testimony provided by Jared and Ivanka will also do, regardless of whether they just weren't very chatty or didn't say much. The fact that they both testified for eight hours and didn't assert privilege to the knowledge of Benny Thompson is a deterrent to defy subpoenas or might encourage others to come forward. Here's what Schiff said. The Department of Justice has a duty to act on this referral and others that we have sent. Without enforcement of congressional subpoenas, there's no oversight. and Without oversight, no accountability for the former president or any other president, past, present, or future. Without enforcement of its lawful process, Congress ceases to be a co-equal branch of government. And I agree with that. But political pressure also could backfire as the Justice Department seeks to maintain its independence. And here's what Raskin said. He was one of the few lawmakers on the panel who declined to criticize Garland. Telling reporters last week he felt strongly about the restoration of the tradition of respect and independence of law enforcement and the law enforcement function. Quote, that was one of the things that got trashed during the Trump period. So I think that Congress and the president should let the Department of Justice and the attorney general do their job. Attorney General Garland is my constituent and I don't beat up on my constituents. Nice. <laughs> Raskin. I know. Pew, pew. And this is just in now. This is breaking. Steve Bannon. That's it. Steve Bannon's breaking. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've seen his face. You can tell. Also referred for contempt and who was indicted for it will not be allowed to use as his defense that his lawyer told him defying a subpoena is cool. It's totally cool. Hey, look, everybody. Billy peed his pants. Of course I peed my pants. Everybody my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Really? Yes. You ain't cool. Unless you pee your pants. Wow. Hey, man, Ernie pees pants, too. All right. So that was Bannon's only defense, by the way. So now he's going to scramble to have to come up with another one. It could explain the smell that's constantly probably <laughs> following Steve Bannon around. He just he reminds me of Pigpen. Totally. The, the flies. The cloud. <laughs> Uh, and I wonder if this decision in this case uh, by Judge Nichols, by the way, who's a Trump appointee, who says, no, I'm sorry, stare decisis, you can't say that your lawyer counseled you to break the law. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, and there were a couple of Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel memos that were in question that Bannon and his lawyer were using. That was also being used by Meadows and his lawyers. Hmm. So I wonder if this decision will have any impact on Meadows. But that would be only if they're not looking at other things to indict him for. And that's why it's taken so long, because we just simply don't know because this DOJ doesn't leak. Right. And there's a lot and more is coming out. I mean, it seems like every week more comes out that Meadows was involved with. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, this next news story, infuriating. I know a lot of you have already heard about it. Lawmakers in Oklahoma on Tuesday approved a near total ban on abortion, making it the latest Republican led state to forge ahead with stringent abortion legislation as the Supreme Court weighs a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade later this year. Now the measure. This is Senate Bill 612, and this would make performing an abortion, quote, except to save the life of a pregnant woman in a medical emergency. I think it's ridiculous that they had to say pregnant woman instead of just any fucking random woman. So obviously, whoever wrote this thing up. But they're saying that would be a felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison and a fine of $100,000. Now, the Oklahoma House voted 70 to 14 to send the bill, which passed the Senate last year, to Governor Kevin Stitt, a Republican whose office responded by noting that Mr. Stitt vowed in September to sign every piece of pro-life legislation that came to his desk. Now, if Mr. Stitt signs the bill, it would take effect on August 26th. That's according to the Senate clerk's office. I'm sure they'll be sued the next fucking day. But its passage came after Oklahoma became a major destination for women from Texas specifically who were seeking abortions after that state enacted a law banning the procedure after about six weeks, in very early stage of pregnancy, people flowed into Oklahoma and New Mexico, but this is specifically in Oklahoma. And a quote, if allowed to take effect, SB 612 would be devastating for both Oklahomans and Texans who continue to seek care in Oklahoma. And that's a coalition of abortion rights groups, including the ACLU of Oklahoma and Oklahoma Call for Reproductive Justice. That's what they said in a statement. And continue, nearly half of the patients Oklahoma providers are currently seeing are medical refugees from Texas. That's what the groups continued on with. 
and uh, went on to say, now Oklahomans could face a future where they have no place left in their state to go seek this basic health care. Now, from Florida to Idaho, Republican state legislatures have been operating as though Roe has already been struck down, advancing restrictions that aim to make abortion illegal in as many circumstances as possible. They're copy and pasting this shit across the country. And it just seems it's everything. It's just it's infuriating right now. I was like, how is this possibly going to pass muster in the midterms? But they're doubling down on it. Yeah. They don't seem to give a shit. At first we were like, be careful what you wish for. And maybe Republicans were like, "Uh oh, this could be bad if Roe gets gutted because it's no longer our issue. But they keep doing it. They just keep doing it. And the cruelty is the point. All right. Trump White House lawyer Eric Hirschman. He was expected to appear today. And I, I believe he did before the January 6th Select Committee investigating the riot. And Hirschman and committee spokesperson did not return ABC News's request for comment on the interview, which could be postponed or rescheduled. And I still haven't found out if he has testified today or not, but he was supposed to. He's a lawyer who defended former President Trump during his first impeachment trial and worked in the West Wing as a senior advisor. He was involved in discussions and meetings in the White House and at Trump campaign headquarters regarding Trump's legal and political efforts to challenge the 2020 election results to over to to coup, basically, including discussions which he pushed back against in attempts to pressure the Justice Department to take more aggressive actions investigating claims of election fraud. He was also involved in a contentious December 18th, 2020 meeting, first reported by The New York Times, where Trump allies Sidney Powell, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and former Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne, They argued with Hirschman and other White House officials over invoking rarely used presidential powers to declare a national security emergency to seize voting machines, a plan that was ultimately rejected. In the last week, the panel has interviewed Ivanka Kushner, both of whom worked in the White House and were involved in Trump's reelection campaign. And the committee, uh, it says here, is expected to begin another round of public hearings as early as next month. And that's according to uh, Chairman Benny Thompson. So as early as May All right. could be June. Right. And when they say a second round, you, uh, you know, a lot of people forget that those four incredibly brave Capitol Police officers have already testified before the committee. They have indeed. Very powerful testimony as well. This last story actually is a little bit, uh, it's, it's bordering on schadenfreude, but it's just more funny in my opinion. A Virginia state court, they've they've disbarred Jonathan Mosley. He has been disbarred, and he's an attorney who has represented a slew of high-profile January 6th defendants, including a member of the Oath Keepers charged with seditious conspiracy, as well as several targets of a House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. Now, most prominent among Mosley's criminal clients is Kelly Meggs, an Oath Keeper from Florida who took on leadership role for the group that breached the Capitol. Now, Mosley also previously represented Zachary Reel, is it, is it real or rail? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's rail. Yeah. yeah. Rail, one of the Proud Boys leaders charged with conspiring to obstruct Congress on January 6, 2021. Uh, the, yeah. And I'm sorry, it, it's conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Um, oh. I just, I, I wanted to, because that came right out of the article here, um, and I just needed to correct the mainstream media because it feels good to me. All right. Do it. Yeah. In, in, Eric's, in Eric's name. That's what we should be doing. Correct it every time they're incorrect. Details of the bar discipline case against Mosley were not immediately available, but a summary posted on the Virginia State Bar website on Tuesday said the court found that he violated, quote, professional rules that govern safekeeping property, meritorious claims and contentions, candor toward the tribunal, fairness to opposing party and counsel, unauthorized practice of the law, multi-jurisdictional practice of the law, Bar admission and disciplinary matters and misconduct. It seems they did a few. There's a little bit there that's a laundry list of fuck up. Seriously. (laughs) That decision was effective on April 1st. My God. All right. Mostly plans to fight the disbarment. I don't know why. (laughs) And immediately filed an appeal. Did he do it correctly or did he violate (laughs) another law? He filed it in the wrong jurisdiction. Oh, my God. <laughs> Reached by phone on Tuesday night and asked about the bar action. He was tight-lipped, didn't say anything. Uh-huh. Because mm. apparently every time he speaks, he breaks another law. The most immediate impact of Mosley's disbarment may be in the upcoming trial of 11 Oath Keepers facing charges of seditious conspiracy for their role in the Capitol breach, and that's including Megs. Now, U.S. District Court Judge Amit Mehta has worked to keep the trial on track for July while scheduling two other Oath Keepers trials for later in the year. But Mosley's exit could complicate Meg's ability to prepare for a defense. 
it's 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 harder to do that when you don't have a lawyer. Yeah. And Meta said so. He's been saying for months, he's like, you sure you don't want to get another lawyer? You sure you don't need a co-counsel? You sure you like he's like, <laughs> this guy's going to be fucking thrown out on his ear, dude. You're going to want a different lawyer. But yeah, I guess Megs, he was like, nah, I'm good. Oh, my God. Well, this guy mostly has also represented several major witnesses facing subpoenas from the January 6th Select Committee, including Megs, Oath Keepers leader Stuart Rhodes. He was on the phone with Mosley when the FBI arrested him, Allison, <laughs> and stopped the steel founder, Ali Alexander. So Megs and Alexander have both sued to block the select committee from obtaining their phone records. But again, their lawyer's gone. <laughs> Mosley's also listed as an attorney for the Oath Keepers organization in a civil suit uh, in which Democratic House leaders are seeking damages from the former president, the Oath Keepers, and various people charged in the storming of the Capitol. So Virginia bar records show he was suspended from legal practice for six months in 2019. So this is not the first fuck up for him. But apparently they're like, enough is enough. You don't get to play in court anymore, young man. (laughs) Wow. Damn. (laughs) Uh, All right. Um, By the way, Merrick Garland gave he was he tested positive for COVID today, but not not before he gave some remarks about an indictment of a Russian oligarch that skirted sanctions saying, and here he said this, he said, it does not matter how far you sail your yacht. It does not matter how well you conceal your assets. It doesn't matter how cleverly you write your malware or hide your online activity. The Justice Department will use every available tool to find you, disrupt your plots and hold you accountable. He also announced that they took down a Russian botnet last month and took out a Russian dark web Hydra op. All of that sounds like James Bond shit to me. And I'll go over it all in detail. There's like sandworm and Hydra botnet dark web. It's like, Like, this is a movie script. And I'm going to go over it in detail on this Sunday's Muller She Wrote podcast. So stick around for that. Uh, That drops on Sunday. And we'll be right back with co-host of the Spy Talk podcast, Jeff Stein. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. It's AG for The Beans, and today's episode is brought to you by Thuma. Having recently realized that my bedroom needs a refresh and gutting my whole house and remodeling everything and wanting to turn it into my space, I got The Bed by Thuma. It was, it was the ideal time to elevate the most important room in my home. In designing bedroom interiors, Thuma follows a less is more philosophy, which jives really well with my mid-mod vibe. It's got clean lines, subtle curves, lifestyle-enhancing details, And Thuma embodies true elegance in its simplicity. My favorite piece, the bed from Thuma, features eco-friendly, high-quality, upcycled wood. You'll find gorgeous, unique variations in the grain. It's a minimalistic design, and Japanese joinery add a touch of sophistication. It's designed to minimize noise and create space so your bedroom opens up. It's breathable. It's supportive of your mattress. And Thuma's bed is backed by a lifetime warranty. It ships right to your door in three boxes. It can be assembled in under five minutes without any tools. And Thuma also offers other bedroom essentials like the nightstand, the side table, and the tray, which are excellent complements to the bed. They all match. They're beautiful. Thuma partners with One Tree Planted to plant one tree for every bed and nightstand sold. So I love the sustainability of this company. The Goodwill is incredible. And all of their essentials are Green Guard Gold Certified, which is a hard certification to get. You can create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with The Bed by Thuma. And if you right now, you go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans, you'll receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed plus free shipping in the continental U.S. That's thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans and enter beans at checkout for a $25 credit. Thuma.co slash beans and use code beans. Everyone, welcome back. I'm happy to be joined by national security journalist and co-host of the Spy Talk podcast, Mr. Jeff Stein. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hey there. Great to be back. It's really, really great to talk to you. And I have been following this deep dive that you have done on hate speech on Intel community chat rooms and Intel community spaces. You put it out, Frank Faglusi, and then saw it on MSNBC. And I wanted to talk to you about it because You know, recently I had talked to Jen Budd about the same kind of thing going on in in the Border Patrol. And here now we have it. And it happened to be veterans, uh, mostly military veterans that were participating in in that kind of chat room hate speech, racism and misogyny. And, And you have uncovered it here. Can you talk a little bit about what you found? 
Well, I stumbled upon or I was led to a source and I tried to draw this person out for about a year because I had heard that he worked inside the intelligence community and was quite uh, angry about hate speech uh, that he had uh, and the Trumpy speech he had uncovered as an administrator of these chat rooms. Mm. So he had firsthand knowledge, and that's always the most important thing when you're putting together a story, not rumor, not speculation. But it fit into what intelligence sources have been telling me for a long time, that there was a growth of Trumpy MAGA head sentiment in the intelligence community over the past several years. And this, uh, I should be quick to add that this sentiment seems to be centered in the CIA's ground units and the special ops teams of the military, the SEALs, Delta Force, and so on. And that makes sense to me because case officers, you know, the elite, the uh, point of the spear in intelligence collection, these guys are professionals for for the great most part. They are busy running agent operations in the field. They don't have time to be sitting around in chat rooms to start with. Mm. But they're the professional class. That's the elite of the CIA. And the military also has a case officer professional corps. So that's not what we're talking about here. Although I've been told in recent days that they're by some ex-CIA people that they were shocked to learn that longtime friends, people they had trained with and worked with, were expressing Trumpy-like sentiments, insurrectionist sentiments. Uh, and they didn't expect that at all. As one of my sources said, it's like discovering, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, you're, you're the cranky uncle. And suddenly, you know, not just cranky, he's expressing pro-insurrection, racist, bigoted thoughts, and so on at the dinner table. So... We've yet to measure exactly how how widespread and how much does this represent the intelligence community in general. I suspect that, as my sources are telling me, it's right that it's in these ground units, intelligence ground units, the Rangers, the Delta Force, the SEALs, and so on. Although my friend Janet Reitman did an explosive story for the New York Times Sunday Magazine several months ago, mm-hmm. which was built around uh, an ex-FBI agent, a black FBI agent, who said racist comment was common in, you know, the kitchen, you know, just in the hallways. And so I think this is a big problem. I don't think the uh, agencies have any idea how to get on top of it. Yeah, no, and, and something stands out to me. You know, I worked in I worked in the federal government. I didn't work in the alphabet soup. I didn't work in intelligence. But we had biannual training on insider threats and how to report it and how to recognize it. And it's kind of shocking to me that, you know, this hasn't been borne out sooner because of that, you know. And then secondarily, my concern is where I think most people's concern is, is how how would this negatively impact intelligence work into national security threats such as Donald Trump? Yeah, that's a really good question. How would, well, if, if, if it's true that this sentiment is grounded in the military-oriented units of CIA and FBI, also the hostage rescue teams and so on, SWAT teams of uh, state and local police, then it's probably not going to affect them too much. Although, you know, we have the, you know, situation where we see police on video, you know, restraining in excess black people. So it could affect their job to some extent, but probably not as much. It's not so much concentrated in the investigative and prosecutorial sections of, of, of executive branch, basically. Well, well, I'm still working on that. I don't have a hard hold on that yet. It's something that I'm continuing to investigate, develop sources. And one of the things I want to know is how much does leadership know of it? When did leadership find out about it and what did it do about it? And what is it doing about it now? Mm-hmm. You know, General Austin, Secretary of Defense, did a dramatic stand down in last January and to do some education to the troops. But you know how education like that goes. 
if you remember your schoolroom days when the teacher assembled, when the principal assembled everyone in the gym to hear a stern message about something or other, and and you sort of left the most people left the left the gym sort of chortling and chuckling about it, uh, or eye rolling about it. I suspect that was the same reaction among people in the military, especially those who are Trumpies in the military. No, they just shrug it off. They're, they've bought in. But you do raise a good question of, if, is it, has it infiltrated the intelligence collector core? And does it affect what they report? We know from, from whistleblowers at the DHS that DHS skewered its reporting under the direction of Trump acolytes to downplay Russian infiltration. Uh, in the 2016 elections and build up, you know, Antifa, um, Black Lives Matter, and so on. So it can be skewered. And the danger is, of course, we look down the road, if these guys got back in power of Trump or a, a Trump manque, you know, got back in the White House and started appointing these people to leadership positions in the intelligence community and the FBI and so on, and they had a core of supporters, no matter how small, 15% maybe. I mean, wh- what did they find about the January 6th rioters? 13 or 15% were current or past military or law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So there's a core there, and we shouldn't be surprised because, it's what, 70 million people voted for Trump? We shouldn't be surprised that there's a quantity of those people inside the intelligence agencies, not to mention law enforcement. After reading Brian Kloss's book on corrupt people and it's corruptible and how corrupt people get power. And my first instant thought goes toward reforming recruitment because it seems like we're recruiting the wrong types of people into these positions. Yeah. It reminds me of a remark that uh, an ex-CIA guy said to me or made to me decades ago, he said that the most powerful office in the CIA for a long time was the medical office. In other words, that was the office that screened or screened out psychopaths So, in, in the general workforce. So there's something to that. I think, I think yeah, you, I think you got to screen them out. I don't, I don't think you can really change people's minds once they've bought into this. I, I think all the research shows that once you've bought into this, and I have a a, a longtime friend, you know, was a graduate, a university graduate, a professional uh, executive uh, for his whole career. He's retired now. He's totally bought into the Trump, the big lie and all that. And it just baffles me, you know. He's a wonderful guy, kind, generous, great sense of humor, gentle, and yet he's bought into this stuff. And it's like a personality transplant. So, yeah, it's very cult-like behavior. You got to keep them from getting in is the thing. Yeah. And, and in that book I had mentioned in, in Brian Klaus's book, he talks about different like police recruitment videos, like one small town in, in a rural red area using all these military equipment and AK-47s and tanks and, you know, be a part of the solution, you know, and uh, the this heavy metal music is playing. And then we go to New Zealand where they have cops rescuing dogs in their recruitment videos and, and helping the public and, you know, assisting people across the street, et cetera, you know, to, and, you know, starting there with, with how we recruit into these positions. And, you know, I, I, that's just an example with police departments, but it seems like the places where this kind of MAGA stuff is going on, is concentrated into those sort of physical SWAT, police, special ops, rangers, kind of on the ground kind of folks. Yeah, well, think about the kind of people who are drawn to that kind of work anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're action figures in their own minds anyway. Mm-hmm. But there is a strong uh, motivation to be uh, to rescue people. So that's the good side. But when you start, you know, objectifying the other then it's not such a good thing. Then you're rescuing white Christian people against the other Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and so on. You know, what we're seeing here is the same process we saw with Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Self-radicalization, 
you know, people watch the videos, the propaganda videos. They follow the news. Their lives are not so great. They might have trouble in their marriages or with families. All those red flags we're trained to look for when we're looking for insider threats in in the government. Exactly. All those traits, troubles at home, financial troubles, uh, complaints about the government. And, you know, when when I say we're trained on this, like in detail like that, to look for those kinds of red flags. So, yeah. It's a much shorter leap to Proud Boys Mm. than it is to Al Qaeda. Mm. You know, I mean, especially if you've got a buddy that's in, right? A buddy that follows QAnon. And you're having beers with, this is a guy you've been having beers with for, for years, right? And he said, give this another look. You know, the, the liberal media has got it all wrong. You know, these are patriots and so on. And that's how you add current and former law enforcement and intelligence people, military people, showing up at the January 6th riots and participating in the riots. So it's, it's just a, a serious worry when it comes to the intelligence community. Because these guys are the first line of defense against our foreign enemies. And if you've got these guys, you know, sabotaging intelligence or skewering intelligence, and a clerk could do that, you know, a clerk could rewrite an intelligence report. A clerk could could derail an intelligence report. Just trash it. It, It's a problem you don't want to have. Yeah, especially now with a lot of the the MAGA crew being pro-Putin and, and the invasion of, of Ukraine. And that's the second piece I wanted to ask you about here before I let you go, is if we could get a, an update on uh, Putin's war in, in Ukraine. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got maybe the most popular broadcaster in America, Tucker Carlson, sort of, you know, rooting for Putin or certainly deflecting blame from him. And this, you know, this ignites more radicals, right-wing radicals, to maybe take action. A, I, should, I want to put this in before we switch to Ukraine, is that a journalist, a former military guy who does military journalism now, who I really, really respect, he said to me the other day, and this was not meant for publication, he said, I used to worry about another Timothy McVeigh coming out of the military and blowing up Oklahoma City, you know, government building. Now I worry about a whole unit flipping. That's, that's really scary. In terms of Ukraine, I think we're playing it pretty well on the intelligence end. I think it was uh, right to publicize intelligence we had on Russia and its plans to try to preempt them. That's where the information war is being waged right now. It's really a strategic level. We're calling the shots before Putin takes them. We know him pretty well. There are a lot of other... Cold War era tools we could, and I think we'll see it being used. And I'm I'm writing a piece on that today, actually, mm-hmm. about the Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, which stopped broadcasting in Russian into the into Russia in 2008 because other media had kind of eclipsed, you know, radio broadcasts, and uh, the Obama administration was trying for its reset with Russia. Uh, which didn't work. And then you have, you know, Trump welcoming Foreign Minister Lavrov and others into the Oval Office and sharing intelligence with him. So you certainly weren't going to see these tools used against Russia then, even after the invasion of Crimea and so on. So, uh, and, you know, biting off parts of Georgia, threatening the Baltic states, trying to engineer coups in Moldova and other places, uh, Montenegro. So. I think you're going to see, I think, I think there's a consensus forming in America slowly because people are concerned more about gas prices and inflation, food prices. But I think you're seeing a consensus forming about those who do care about our, our posture in the world that we should start using every tool we've got to, to blunt Putin, to try to undermine him and to blunt his um, encroachments in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Agreed. And um, whole new rounds of sanctions now just just coming out. One question I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, because a lot of people seem to be upset or concerned with the fact that we are sanctioning Russia piecemeal instead of throwing the entire kitchen sink at them all at once. Can you talk to from your expertise why they're doing it that way? Well, I think they had to gear up. 
you know, I mean, they've been doing piecemeal sanctions forever, and they haven't had much effect. And we didn't want to, you know, we kept thinking, well, maybe we can work out something with Vladimir Putin, keep him caged up, don't hit him too hard personally. And we were wary of the Russians' ability, which we saw in 2016, we're wary of the Russians' ability to wage, you know, electronic warfare against us. Uh, not only the Russians, but the North Koreans, the Iranians, and so on. They've, they've shown that they have penetrated our utilities, you know, dams, power stations. The North Koreans got into banks. So they're in our pants. And we're in their pants, too, by the way. We can flicker the lights in Moscow and let them know, you know, back off. But we don't want to go there uh, to an uh, unconstrained internet, you know, uh, the cyber war, excuse me. So we, we just we just weren't my my feeling is we weren't really prepared for all out sanctions warfare, all out economic warfare against Russia. And it's just taking time. You know, it's the federal government. It takes time to get things done, to have the right people in place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's so many positions that haven't even been staffed yet a year uh, into the administration. Uh, they can't even get nominations for key positions through the the Senate. So it just it's just taking time. I, I think that's that's the explanation. So like, you know, when we we sanctioned Spurbank and cut off the war chest and then it wasn't until yesterday that we said well, we're going to block them from being able to pay down their debt with dollars that they've had on reserve. What you know, I'm just wondering why we didn't do that from from the jump unless it's to to sort of have more to to threaten them with to leave something, you know, in our hand that we can put on the table later? Or is it like you said, we just, it ta- all these sanctions take time, and so they're just ratcheting up? Well, I'd add one more thing. Uh, I'm no financial expert, that's for sure. But uh, my understanding is that there are complications when you start sanctioning these banks that have to do with our allies and their holdings and their international transactions. Uh, so it's not so these these factors have to be taken into account when you're attacking Russian financial instruments. Yeah, and it's not just us making the decision; it's the entirety of the Western world that's <laughs> yeah. just making these decisions together. And allies who are much more tied closely to uh, Russia than we are. Yeah, or more dependent on them. And uh, yeah, honestly, I've been quite astonished at the cooperation amongst the like you couldn't like i mean just within the eu itself trying to get everyone to agree on something is hmm. it's right you know hurting cats but now you know we're all on the we're all on the same page here so i'm i'm very uh happily surprised at that uh capability and that leadership that that's that's happening to get everybody to do what they're doing it's nothing like a wolf at the door to make people cooperate <laughs> that's very true all right. Well, thank you very much. Tell everyone when and where they can get the Spy Talk podcast and, and also your Substack because you have that new piece coming out that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I hope people will uh, traipse over to Substack or just Google spytalk.co and you'll come upon our news uh, letter and website. We do a lot of investigative reporting and analysis that I think uh, a lot of people in your audience would appreciate. And, of course, we appreciate paid subscribers in particular because that helps keep the work going. And, like you said, very generously, we're part of the MSW network. (laughs) Every Thursday, a new Spy Talk podcast drops. Mm. And my co-host, Gene Meserve, in particular, we will remember, was the CNN anchor and Homeland Security correspondent. She's been great at wrangling important guests onto the show. So... I think you're going to like it. Uh, This week's issue or uh, episode, uh, she has an interview uh, with an expert on Chinese espionage about China's harassment of dissidents in the United States. And it's really fascinating. Uh, Yeah, awesome. Incredible show. It's so well done. And it's an invaluable addition to the MSW Media Network. So thank you very much. Uh, We will talk soon. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading that new piece and also what you find further about what's going on in our intelligence communities as far as this kind of racist stuff on... What's their Twitter called? E-chirp? <laughs> E-chirp is their yeah. version of Twitter. It's classified. People don't seem... A lot of people have missed that point. These are not public chat rooms. These are classified chat rooms. 
There's a whole classified messaging uh, communication system that goes up to top secret and above because people got to be able to communicate with each other. Uh, but at the lowest level of classification, but still classified, are these chat rooms and in, uh, its own variety of Twitter called eChirp, hmm. which I was amused to learn. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, thank you very much. And we will, we will speak soon and stay on top of these stories with you. Thank you, Jeff Stein. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Allison. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans, and today it's brought to you by AG, Athletic Greens, which specializes in providing convenient daily nutrition that I love, that's delicious. And it's so convenient. It is an easy habit to pick up. Uh, and I, let me tell you about it. We, it's difficult to eat right and get the vitamins you need, especially if you're me. You have a busy work schedule, you're perimenopausal, you're paleo, and you intermittently fast. I have huge gaps in my nutrition, but that's where the life hack of Athletic Greens comes to the rescue. You get comprehensive daily nutrition from one scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens. And AG1 contains multivitamins, multiminerals, a probiotic, so you don't have to take a separate one of those, a green superfood blend, so you don't have to do a separate one of those. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients, and it keeps me feeling great and productive throughout the day. I take it every morning before the gym. I love AG1. It's delicious, and it's got bioavailable ingredients. And it's an ideal substitute for all those multiple pills and supplements and bottles that used to fill an entire cabinet of mine. And it is keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, and uh, gluten-free. So it's friendly to all of those lifestyles. It has one uh, less than one gram of sugar. And it's no GMOs, no chemicals, no GMOs, no artificial anything. And it tastes amazing. But my favorite thing about Athletic Greens is the science, right? They keep updating it. Most supplements hit the market. They don't change forever, for decades. But AG1 has improved 53 times in the last decade as a result of the latest research. For daily nutrition, I highly recommend AG1. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D a whole year and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections or you want to play What the Mutt or send in your Easter Bunny photos, which are hilarious, or your whoopee stories, or your shit kids say, or shit your parents say, or shit you say, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, you can send it in to us. Anything funny, anything, anything, just, you know what, whatever you want to send us, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. That's how you get it to us. Let us know if you want us to read your name. Let us know which pronouns are if you want to, and, and we'll take care of it. And you know what would really help us out is if everyone listening on Apple Podcasts would just give us a five-star rating, a little review. I mean, if you think we deserve five stars, uh, we would appreciate it. Help us grow. Uh, and it also keeps the fascist off the charts. So that's <laughs> always fun. That is always fun. All right. I'm going to grab the first two here because they're relatively short. And this dog photo is killing me. From Corey, pronouns he and him. Correction. Hi, all. Enjoy the show very much. But I have a point of correction. The Washita Mountains is pronounced like Wichita, but begins with wa, so Wachita. Oh, all right. We had a different person tell us to pronounce it differently. <laughs> so there we go. We had actually had a phonetic spelling in our in our notes that was not oh. the same. Well, somebody's in trouble. All right, Wachita. Not to be confused with the actual Wichita Mountains, which are in southwest Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, sorry, now I feel guilty for being that person. Uh, no, Corey. <laughs> Corey, be that <laughs> no. person. Please be that person. I do it to other people all the time and it makes me feel better. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her. It gives oh, me a reason the to baby. be. I know this dog. My good news is I paid off all my student loans this month. Attached is a picture of my foster pup, Cranberry, because she was born around Thanksgiving. Cute. She's a clever miniature pincher and dachshund mix and is available for adoption <gasps> through one by one rescue in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh my God. People go get this puppy. <gasps> go get Cranberry. Cranberry, look at the ears. I know. Uh, I would get cranberry if I could. Oh, what a honey. So okay. sweet. Thank you for kicking us off with both of those. This next one's from Jen, pronouns she and her. Hi. As a mom of a trans kid working to transition to the right pronouns, here's an idea for parents who wrote in with their confession earlier this week. You could create a donation jar where every time you misgendered them, you put money in to donate to a nonprofit of their choice. It provides evidence of your good intent and that your cognition is just slower than your heart when it comes to catching up. What a beautiful sentence. 
A suggestion is translifeline.org. That's a great organization with their fabulous hotline supporting trans people and families. I love the tip from another listener about the pictures. And although we've done it at home, I can do it for our relatives who don't see us as often. For funsies, here's a shit kid say. My eight-year-old <laughs> wanted some extra snuggles as he was working on a difficult task. He asked me to come give him mortal support. <laughs> it was an interesting phrase and gave me something to contemplate while we sat together. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. It is. It's just being alive and, you know, being mortal. Sometimes you just need a hug. For pod pet tax, here's our barker-in-chief taking a rest and snuggled up in her blanket. <gasps> What is this dog? That dog looks like a German shepherd. It's so such a cute. It looks small, though. It looks like a miniature shepherd or something. Cute. It's beautiful. Thank you for that submission. That's a good idea. Uh, next up from Michael, pronouns he and him. This is a thank you submission. Oh, I don't even think we ask for thank yous. Look at that. We should. All right. Yeah. Send in your thank yous. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, sorry, why I not? I hope this doesn't come off as cringe, but I wanted to thank Dana for being a lesbian in my life that I didn't know I missed. Oh, I grew up in a neighborhood that was a safe place for LGBTQ couples to start families and uh, have had long term relationships with bisexual women and one relationship that morphed into a lifelong friends with a woman with lesbian parents. Unfortunately, time and distance has left me in a cishet bubble. And I didn't realize how much I missed interacting with and being exposed to that unique life experience. Hearing some of Dana's off-the-cuff remarks and jokes, along with sharing her experiences and outlooks as a lesbian in America, has filled the void I didn't know I had. Thank you for reminding me that I miss my friends, helping to encourage me to look up some old friends and to get out and make some new ones. Tax is a picture of Murderface trying to get me to go back to sleep. <laughs> you can try to guess this mutt, but I can tell you he's predominantly serial killer. Uh, it's, they say it's a Shih Tzu Yorkie mix rescued from Fresno living his best life in Oregon. Look at, oh my God. Well, Michael, I can say this as the lesbian in, in question here. Um, not cringe. I love that. I am a, a familiar joy for you to have in your ears each day. And everyone should have lesbian friends. Like go find a lesbian, make a friend. And if I'm your lesbian person that fills void in your life, I'm honored. So that warmed my heart. I'm glad that, uh, it's, I'm, I don't know. I'm just glad that it brings up old memories and it's given you some impetus to reach out to people. I love it. And this dog's adorable. Yes. So cute. Oh my God. So sweet. All right. Well, thank you for that, Michael. This is from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Here's a variation of shit kids say, and I'll call it shit I say to kids without thinking. <laughs> While stuck in traffic on a road trip recently, our three-year-old was asking about the road we were driving on. I told him, quote, it's called an expressway that we're not really expressing right now. My husband added, yeah, we're stuck in traffic. Without thinking, I said enthusiastically, we're trafficking. And immediately realized my mistake. We spent the next hour hearing, we're trafficking, mommy. Are we trafficking? On repeat from the back seat. Yeah, you don't want a kid saying that in public. Whoops, thankfully, he seems to have forgotten this for now. But it's a good reminder that little kids are sponges and I need to watch what comes out of my mouth. Thanks for all you do. Could you imagine them pulling up in like the Wendy's uh, drive through and the kid in the back is like, we're trafficking. <laughs> mm, mm, you were trafficking. Nothing to Aren't see Aren't we, here. mommy? Aren't I being trafficked? <laughs> yeah, that r reminds me of uh, when uh, my goddaughter was very young. And to, to, be, to, to put it nicely, my best friend and I don't really get along with her dad very well. So when we, we would teach her things so that when she would get back to her dad, her dad would have to contend with those things. <laughs> oh, my God. Makes any sense. That does. And so we taught her when she was in the restroom because she wanted to go to the potty by herself, like not with, with that, without somebody, without one of us in the stall with her. Like I can right. do it myself. OK, so I told her what you need to do, though, to, so I can make sure you're OK, is I need you to stick your foot under the stall door and say wide stance. <laughs> <laughs> and so she would do that whenever, without explanation, whenever her dad would take her into the bathroom. And then, of course, I've said shit to kids without thinking because I was trying to, you know, I don't have kids. Yeah. I have cats. And, you know, I'm a comedian. So I, and I swear it's news with swearing. I say fuck a lot. And uh, I was trying to abbreviate my swear words around my goddaughter. 
And one time she said something like, oh, you know, uh, we go into the zoo. Let's go to the zoo. And then her mom is like, oh, zoo's closed today or whatever. And and I said, instead of, <laughs> I tried to abbreviate my swear words, but I said, WT fuck. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so then she ran around for quite a while saying, WT fuck, WT fuck. I kind of like that. So, that was fun. All right. Do you want to take us home since I just told a bunch of stories? That- <laughs> well, sure. If you'd like me to, I'm happy to. This is from Adrian, pronouns she and her. My niece, a feisty child then, a feisty young woman now, has given the secular side of the family our best shit kids say. Mm. My sister-in-law and her family, very religious Catholics, church-going, large family-type folks. At Mass one day, she was misbehaving, not enjoying having to sit still. Her father told her, quote, good girls go to heaven, to which she responded, then I want to go to hell. And began repeating, I want to go to hell. I want to go to hell. Loudly in the church, but mostly just go to hell could be heard. Just go to hell. Uh, They were mortified. I've never been prouder. That's amazing. I have a quick one. I don't know if I've told this story before. My niece, when she was four, um, she was in um, preschool and acting up. And this is one of the shit kids say. And the teacher was just getting frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And uh, um, she looked in a mirror and the teacher said to her, she said, you know, Amira, your behavior is really starting to hurt my feelings. And my niece looked at her and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Mendros, but your feelings aren't my responsibility at four years old. <laughs> and then she dropped the mic and walked out of preschool. Boom. Holy shit. You know how much therapy I had to take to learn that your feelings are not my responsibility? Yeah, I'm having real moments of all the times I should have said that. Right? Sorry, your feelings <laughs> are not my responsibility. Oh, damn. It's fucking awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, as she was four, I learned that at like 44. Okay. We're all still learning. Yeah. I still am learning. Your feelings are not my responsibility. Oh, man. Yeah. It's hard to remember. Hard to remember with all that Catholic guilt. Oh, yeah. Also, when you're a caretaker, I feel like sometimes there's caretakers and then there's just takers. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, nice. Yeah, always like keep your boundaries because people who are takers don't have any. Mm-mm. All right, that's the show. And uh, thank you for all your submissions. If you have anything you want to send in, please do so at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact um, and uh, send us all of whatever you want. It's it's fine. And thank yous. Yeah, send us thank yous. I love thank yous. I love. Oh my God, that was so nice. I like, yeah, I'm warm my heart, Michael. So thank yous are good. Do you have any final thoughts? No, just to thank you. I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. AG. <laughs> oh, no final thoughts. No, well, I, now I'm slurring. It's almost like thanks. Thanks, everybody. No Have final a good day. Today. Thanks. No final thoughts. Thanks, everybody. Today. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, my final thought is I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens. Um, that uh, this is, it's, it's, it's humbling, daily humbling. Well, and if you weren't here, it'd just be Allison and I talking to ourselves for an hour. Which we just would. for fun. Which we would. Just for fun. Yeah. We would do it, but it's nice to have witness. Yes. Yes. Bear witness. Thank you. And uh, everybody, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I'm Allison Gill. And I am Dana Goldberg. And them are the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.